When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to a special emergency post-match pod edition of the Counterpunch Podcast, a weekly Cracked Rackets production. Even though this is not in our regular schedule, uh, alongside my co-hosts, Arjit Suresh, I'm Richard Mai, and we're here to break down specifically uh, Carlos Alcaraz versus Novak Djokovic, the semifinal uh, that, at least at the time of this recording, just concluded. Um, what a match it was. Um, it's not our usual break down, analyze, all that good stuff. Uh, we're here for this. It's the French Open. It's the clay court tournament of the year um, and one heck of a match that we've been waiting for for a very long time. Did Let's start off with, did it live up to our expectations? Well, quite frankly, no, because we're doing an emergency podcast <laughs> about an injury, but... If you couldn't tell, I'm a little bit salty about the fact that we didn't get a full five yes. hours of this match. Here's the thing. To answer to answer your question, sets one and two lived up to expectations. Absolutely. It was fantastic. I did think that set one came out a little stale in terms of on Alcaraz's perspective. I think he came out a little bit unsure of himself and wasn't able to battle the way he thought he would, especially with how clinical Novak came yeah. out. I think Djokovic was phenomenal to start I, the I match. Literally he tweeted, adjusted. I literally tweeted the end of the fourth set. So tough watching Alcaraz versus Djokovic. We've waited for this match for so long, and when we finally get it, Alcaraz isn't at a hundred percent. Yeah, it's so to tough. Me, like you said, yeah. that for, those first two sets were absolutely exactly what we've been waiting yeah. for. But and to me, it felt like it was building too. Like it felt like it, it was, was like, like the first two sets were the build up, and the third set was a crescendo. But now it just feels like a really bad movie because we just sat through like 90 minutes of build up to zero payoff. Exactly. I mean, honestly, there was, um, I mean, credit where credit's due. I mean, Alcaraz fought so hard and it yes, was so awesome to watch because he wasn't giving up. He wasn't backing down. There was no way that he was going to, you know, let it get to him and just, you know, play it off. And honestly, there were moments where he made that cramp look like nothing. Um, yeah. but with that said, I mean, but a cramp I, is I, so I, difficult yeah. and Novak said in his post-match, the last thing you want to get in these deep stages of a tournament is cramps and physical issues, um, which was quite ironic. And then cut to a few minutes later, Rude and, Rude and Zverev doing their physical preparations. Yeah. Um, I do want to I do want to mention this about ten minutes before it actually happened. Andy Roddick tweeted out first he takes your legs, and then obviously that was in reference to his tweet from the U.S. Open a couple years ago, where he said first Novak takes your legs, then he takes your soul. Well, yeah. quite frankly, he did take out Alcaraz's legs. I'm not even sure though if this was a physical ailment or not, because to me, a lot of it might just stem from the fact that Alcaraz 
got really hyped up for this match was way more tense than his body like was way more yes. tense mentally and physically than he normally is for any kind of match because this had been hyped up for so many months almost a year now ever well, since more than a year, carlos more than a year now, entered yeah. that top 10 the world has been waiting and i mean like with with complete fairness like the world has been waiting for this match i think these are two of in my opinion honestly the only two players that you can look at that i look at and i don't see a clear-cut weakness yeah like every player there's something to break down there but honestly with these two guys i think they're the only ones on the men's tour right now that i can genuinely say i do not see a a clear-cut weakness yeah and yeah absolutely i i mean maybe djokovic gave a little bit of a weakness in that you know, Alcaraz isn't a hundred percent ready for the highest of highs against Novak Djokovic and only Novak Djokovic in best of five sets. But to me, it certainly felt like he was ready. It felt like he was battling and playing really, really well. I thought we were in for a really big contest. Um, it's just unfortunate to see the fact that Alcaraz couldn't keep up at that rate. But I am interested to see how Djokovic prepares for his next match because what he was able to do tactically in this match was phenomenal. He, his ability to reset points, the way he was hitting his forehand because he knew that Alcaraz was going to punish anything that wasn't like pinpoint depth and accuracy. Then I like, I was just so impressed with how well Djokovic adjusted from their previous matchup and just came out guns blazing and took that first set. Also, a huge thing that I noticed tactically with what Novak was doing is if you watch Alcaraz himself, the movements, he was stretched out way more often. Yeah. Uh, last time they had played, you saw a lot more of, you know, Alcaraz being able to get to shots and it being within his range. And this time you're seeing him stretched out on most of the shots, any shot that Novak was hit was, you know, hitting to him, you could see his body stretched out. Um, which shows a lot of, like you said, um, tactical awareness from their last meeting. Um, really, it was just clinical from Novak. I mean, I the way he was serving, I think he was winning almost like 78% or something on his first serve points in that first set. All of the, like so many aces in that final set. I mean, it was yeah. so such strong serving, pinpoint yeah. accuracy. I mean, yeah. I think maybe the ace count would have been a little lower if Alcaraz yeah. had the burst in his legs. That it, it's probably I think the, a couple more unreturned serves. Yes, but Still. I think the big thing is um, to know. I mean, yes, I fully agreed. If Alcaraz was healthier with the legs, he probably would be able to get there. But the pinpoint accuracy of Novak's serve—he found his spots and he hit them. Yeah. He knew he knew where he wanted to serve that ball, and he got it in that spot it was very reminiscent of like a curio serve with that with the accuracy level to me it felt like Djokovic played Alcaraz kind of the way that he approaches the Nadal matches and that he's like just stretching him out wide hitting really aggressive and deep forehands and then like because Alcaraz likes to camp in that ad side corner kind of the way Nadal does except Alcaraz is comfortable with his backhand and like being aggressive from there, but also backpedaling with his forehand, hitting the inside out, inside in drop shot pattern that he loves so much. I think he loves doing that so much that Djokovic was actually able to exploit that really well, especially with a couple of those down the line backhands that he was hitting. 
obviously no one hits it down the line backhanded today's men's game like Novak Djokovic, but I thought it was really, really impressive the way that he was able to manufacture that within these points. Yeah. Well, there is a second semifinal that's going on right now. And obviously, whoever wins this one will look across the net to see Novak uh, in the final. Where do we see... I mean, for, for starters, do we see Novak beating both, losing to both, beating one, not the other? Like, how do we see his, you know, chances? Because personally, I think he beats either of them. Yeah, I, I think... It's a pretty comfortable matchup for him, especially if he gets rude. Like, I think that's... I know Casper... I think Casper's a better player on clay than Zverev is right now. And I think he is... Right now, obviously. I think... I think Rude is the favorite in that matchup. But I think Djokovic can comfortably beat both of them. Who would he like to see? I think he would prefer to see Rude, actually. Because Zverev can make things really difficult for him, especially if his, if he's in the form to have beaten Rude and is confident and in the final with nothing to lose. Things could get dicey for Novak, but I pretty much expect him to be either guy, no, like no matter who he gets. I think he's just playing better, and I think he just is better than them. I agree with you that he would pro- that Rude is probably the best option if you're looking from the perspective of Novak. Like, who does he want to see? I think it is Rude. Um, Just because I think that Rude's game fits what Novak can beat easier. In the sense of Rude's game, to me, when I watch Rude, it just feels very consistent. Like, it's the best way to describe his game. It's consistency, whereas Sasha's going for those big shots. He's taking those risks. He's, uh, you know, he's taking his shots. When he's hitting with confidence, he's whamming that ball. And it's very difficult for anyone, no matter how good, you know, to return. Well, I'm Um, going to push back on you there with the Rude thing. Because I do think he, I I think Rude is actually more aggressive than Zverev is. Because Zverev does tend to play a little passive and starts counterpunching about five feet behind the baseline. Especially when he's uncomfortable in matches. And I think that's the pitfall with him. Is that when he's on, he's on. And he's stepping inside the court and like unleashing the forehand and backhand. He looks great. But there are times when he gets way too passive. Whereas with Rude... I feel like it's just too one-dimensional to really hurt Novak. Like, especially given where he is. Like, we all saw the final from last year against Nadal. Like, obviously, it's Nadal on clay, and that's just a really bad matchup given how high Nadal is able to get his forehand on Rude's backhand side. But you try and look at Djokovic and Rude's backhand-to-backhand exchanges and tell me that Djokovic can't do similar and beat rude just hands down on the clay sure um i just i also just think like i don't know it's it's something about it i mean casper is just very it's very weird for me watching his match because i i don't know this is gonna sound really weird but i don't feel like there's that big of an x factor with rude yeah is that weird to say like no no i i get what you're saying like He's, he's, he's a gatekeeper in the tennis community right now where he is going to beat everyone he's supposed to beat, hence why he's made such deep runs at the French Open in the past two years. But he's going to beat everyone who he's supposed to beat. There is a bit of a ceiling against the top most guys that I feel like Zverev has the ability to get there. 
I just think Rude is more likely to maximize on what he's doing than Zverev is. Sure. I think that what you like like you've mentioned before, I mean Zverev has less to lose here and so he's just going to come out swinging if he, you know, in this match and the next. If you remember where Sasha was a year, you know, 12 months ago, this is, you know, the time where that horrific injury happened, you know? And I think that it's going to push Sasha even more to step out of his comfort zone and really go for it because you can't do worse than 12 months ago. That was rock bottom. It's true. He played, I mean, he played he great in that match. He tennis, played great. Yeah. But once that injury struck, I don't think there's anything lower than that moment. Yeah, like it's no. so bad. And yeah, I think that it's only going to push him even more to really go for it because he knows how badly he wants this. And if you watch how he's been playing up until this point, this is, I think, I mean, I don't think that he beats Novak. I think he can take it to four. He can even take it to five, potentially, depending on how he plays those first two sets. Yeah. But, I mean, I think, I think he, both of them can push Novak. I just don't think either of them have what it takes to beat him. Yeah. I mean, you have to think about endurance in five sets. It's what we talk yeah. about a lot when you compare someone like Novak, who at in his mid-30s has played God knows how many, you know, slam yeah. finals. What is it? 30-something, right? 30? Uh, so I just saw the stat, but I think he's just reached his 36th or 34th, which is tying Steffi Groff for the most all-time. It's it's insane, but I think what this shows is even if he loses that slam final, having gotten there so many times, the amount of five setters he's had to play and the amount of times he's have to he's had to endure that. If I mean, I think back to, um, I mean the final against Kyrgios at Wimbledon, the final against Sitsi passes the French Open a few years ago. It's endurance. It's can you last the five, you know, the full five sets. And when I talked about when I, when I mentioned about, like, Rude and consistency, I feel like... Wh- what I mean by that is I feel like Rude's game is more based on can I outlast my opponent and how can I force them into making mistakes? Whereas Sasha's is more, let me take a bajillion... Like, they're both aggressive in their own right. But I feel like Rude's is more, let me, like, force a mistake. Whereas Sasha's, I feel like, is is winners. Or just all out, flat out, let's go for it. Do you get what I'm saying? And I feel oh, like... I'm, I, I get what you're if, saying, if but I'm going to disagree because sure. I, I feel like what Zverev mostly relies on is his ability to counterpunch from behind the baseline. And like he relies on his court coverage. That's been the main issue with Sasha Zverev for the past five years is he gets too defensive in the big moments. Rude is more likely to go for it. I just don't think he has enough to actually pack enough of a punch to beat those who are better than him. Like the way he uses his forehand as an aggressive weapon is it's there. Like that it's a, it's a really good weapon, especially on clay where like it's the attributes of it are magnified. But I just don't feel like he has what it takes. Whereas with Zverev, I feel like in I in the matchup with uh, Djokovic, I kind of see it as the way Medvedev approaches that, which is like those are probably the two guys who feel like okay, I can last with Djokovic, and I can just force him to out aggressive me, if that's not a word. But you you guys have got what I was saying. Yeah. But he can like that's for, how I feel. 
regardless of what the tactic is, I think the most important thing to note for both of these guys when you're going up against Novak is you have to play full out aggressive because you you can't get into a deep rally with Novak. The longer unless the your rally name is goes, Daniil Medvedev, sure. But the longer the rally goes, the bigger chance Novak wins the point. Do you get what I'm saying? Like yeah. And, you and need the to pro- keep points and the problem shorter. Is it's, yeah. You need and the to problem keep is, points yeah. shorter with him. Yeah, and the problem is Djokovic is very good at keeping points short on his own side. So like exactly, you don't really see a pathway to a win against him if you're Rude or Zverev. Which I be- think I think back to I think the perfect example of how you have to play against Novak Djokovic, and I can't believe I'm saying this. It is Nick Kyrgios' first set of that Wimbledon final. That is yeah. how you beat Novak. Your a your serve needs to be on point. Yeah, or more. Specific, serve, well, you need cheap points. You need Nick's cheap points. Serve. If I can take any like serve from any pro player, I'm not taking John Isner. I'm not taking Anderson. I'm not. I am taking Nick Kyrgios because yeah, a it it's sense, yeah. difficult to read. B it you he finds his spot and he hits it perfectly. Yeah. Be, like that's what you need to do against someone like Novak. It's so hard to predict for any level player to predict where Nick's gonna serve. Like so many players on the serve, like when you watch pros, they can tell where the serve's gonna go based off of racket pronation or wrist or something in the body. With Nick, you can't tell that. You don't know where it's it can go out wide down the tee in the body. You need that level of um, unpredictability, and then from there. I just I don't know how to describe it. He Nick was keeping points short. They weren't dragged out. They weren't long rallies. There was minimal long rallies in that first set. I just yeah. don't know how to describe it because it was exact in my opinion, that is how you need to play against Novak. You cannot yeah. let him predict you. He has so much experience and he's so he has such a high tennis IQ. Yeah. Or you just yeah. It kind of you have to be like that, or you just have to have the power of a guy like Stan Wawrinka or Dominic Team, where you can bully Novak from the baseline and like just force him to not be able to generate any depth on his strokes. Which I don't think either of these guys have to that extent. Like they can make it really difficult and suffocate Novak in ways, but he'll be able to wriggle out just in the nick of time. No, which- let me also say this. Um, I don't know how well you've been filling out your brackets, Archit, but I've been filling out mine religiously, and I did pick Alcaraz to win this match. Obviously, I couldn't foresee what was going to happen, but the reasoning for me is because Alcaraz plays a game that can counter Novak's in that Alcaraz hits nice deep into the court with heavy topspin, works perfectly on a clay court, but with that said, he also has the tools in his arsenal that will throw him off effective clean drop shots slices put like strategies that we were seeing the first two sets pushing Novak far like deep into the court and then a tactical like very effective drop shot it wasn't high it wasn't too slow it was what it was a perfect drop shot that is the kind of game that also throws him off because there, I mean, like Novak's great and all, but you can't expect anybody to run from deep into the court, you know, across the entire court to receive that ba- that drop shot. Yeah, it and works. he was doing it really well, actually. Yeah. Like, and it Djokovic was so countering well. the drop shot very well for the first two sets. 
I really don't think Alcaraz was playing the best tactical yeah. match for the first two sets, but his shot making and his speed and his like his natural instincts just allowed him to battle through. And he's just such a natural. Set. He's just he's just such a natural athlete. Yeah, some guys are so just good. born to be professional athletes, and Carlos Alcaraz is one of them. But I really thought he was starting to find something tactically and near the end of the second set, and he was gonna like ride it out near the end of the match, but he just couldn't obviously because his body just didn't let him well so to end things off here now we've talked a lot about novak now looking at carlos how do you move forward from this we look at we have only what about two three weeks now and then we're into wimbledon so how if you're carlos if you're part of carlos's team how do we move forward from this do we feel like it's severe you know what are we doing here I'm not really worried long term. Like I think he'll be okay. First things first, just go drink plenty of fluids, get some yeah. rest, drink, eat, eat as much food as you can, do your stretches, do your whatever your physio recommends. That's what you have to do in that scenario, and you just kind of wait it out. Like he was already starting to look a little better near the end of the match, so I assume that he'll be fine long term. I don't think it really taints his prospects for the grass. I do feel like he'll look at this tournament as an opportunity missed, though, because he was playing so, so well. And, you know, he he battled Novak even. So, like, in that scenario, I think he fancies his chances of coming away with the second slam. So, and, you know, the grass isn't his favorite surface yet. He just hasn't had enough time to play on it. So, I'll be interested to see how he fares at Wimbledon. But, overall, I'm not overly concerned about anything. I think you take at least this upcoming week to do some personal training. Uh, I know a lot of players will use uh, these grass court, these upcoming grass court tournaments as you know, their grass court training, but honestly just do some personal training physio, uh, you know, all of that good stuff, stretches, working out those muscles, and then just doing some hitting sessions, getting used to the bounce of the grass, maybe do one grass, like one small grass tournament and just go all out, like not push your body to, to the very limit, but just have fun with it. Use it as an opportunity to really feel out the grass in the match scenario where it's not best of five sets um, yeah. and where it's not as high stakes as it will be in Wimbledon. Take the opportunity to just get I still used don't to think it. we've seen him play an ATP sanctioned event on grass other than Wimbledon, obviously. Yeah. I think it's a so, smart move for any player, not just Carlos, but yeah. for any player. Uh, take one of at least one of these tournaments in the next few weeks to just understand and get used to because it is... The, we we talked about it before. It is the, the hardest, hardest transition, transition. Yeah, from clay to grass is is the two opposites. So take this opportunity to really get used to the grass. Um, yeah. With that said, any final remarks? Well, I I do want to bring up two quick things. Although I don't know how quick we can be, but go for it. Novak going for twenty three, obviously would be the record. Uh, maybe even cements him as the greatest of all time. We'll see. Everyone's going to have their opinions on that, and we don't want to get into that. But calendar slam on, question mark? Because, I, I mean, we saw it in 21, won the French Open, immediately his sights were on. We also saw it slam. in what? Wait, was it 21? Yeah, 21. That Medvedev won the U.S. Open, yeah? And yeah. ruined the- and he was one match away, lost in the final and, of the U.S. And Open. And can I Medvedev. be honest? Honestly... I think we start calendar watch, but I, I don't think, think it it's happens. Gonna happen. I yeah. think it happens. I think it happens again, and you and I think it's Carlos this time who ruins it at the at the U.S. Open. 
I think it's gonna be Carlos or Medvedev. So, that is my I opinion. Yeah. I don't I think know. It's so tough. One of to those win. two is winning the U.S. Open. I'm. I don't think. Yeah. I'm not that confident yeah. in the only problem know, is it's so it. tough to defend a US Open title. No one's done it since Federer in 2007, 2008. Yeah, you're right. So interesting for Carlos. We'll see how that goes. But I really like Medvedev at this year's US Open. You're the right. The US he, Open is so tough a, to defend just because it's such an it's just such yeah. an open field. And because bar in mind that like in keep, Australia, Australia is the beginning of the year. Now yeah. you've had this this entire season going for you, especially the the North American swing, like the Cincinnati, Canada, um, Washington DC, Atlanta, all those tournaments build up to this culmination. It's so tough because there's so many players and yeah. factors and at, that yeah. should and be at kept that in point mind. in the season everyone has grinded through an entire year's worth of matches so it's just tough on the body also, keep in yeah. mind that Djokovic hasn't played at the U.S. Open since that fiasco where he hit the Lions oh wait no 2021 where he lost lost him sorry the, yeah, the but Lions he hasn't played since prior. then yeah yeah but he hasn't well, played since the then, other so. thing I just think is also with the U.S. Open players come out of the woodworks out of absolutely nowhere. Like, if you think about last year, Kachanov and Tiafo, Like, no one picked Francis Tiafo to be in the semifinal. And yeah. even though he's a great player, no one expects, you know, these players to go that far. And you never know who's going to play some of their best tennis. And I feel like sometimes it does, co- like, wait and, and come out at the, at the U.S. Open. I just feel like it comes out, I mean, it always comes out of someone at some point, right? Throughout the entire um, season, but I feel like yeah. it most often comes out during the U.S. Open. So, do I think calendar watch is on? Sure, yes. Do I think that it will happen? Do I think no. it will happen? No. But well, last it hasn't, it hasn't happened off, since. Yeah. Do we think twenty three? If Novak does win twenty three now, do we think that twenty three is the end, or do we think there's more after twenty three? No, I, I, say I think he gets. I think he gets to twenty four easy. I say there's more. I say twenty five. Yeah, I say he stops twenty five. We'll see. I, because it I all think just depends on how. And also knowing Novak's personality, I think he's gonna want to stop as number one ever, yeah. both men's yeah. and women's. Yeah, which would be twenty five, and yeah. he is in the physical condition to do so. Yeah, I think at thirty at what thirty five to be in this good physical condition. Come on. He's 36 now, but I th- it, it really doesn't matter he at this point. He plays like he's 28. Like Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like he'll be fine physically. I, I think it just depends on three factors. His health long-term, his motivation, and how good Alcaraz and Runa and Sinner get. Yeah. Well, with that said, keep up to date with everything that's happening in this, in this Cracked Rackets community um, from online, CrackedRackets.com. At Suresh Archit, at Richard Mayo three. Um, follow at us on Twitter. It's on Instagram. Watch everything Twitter. we're doing. Um, we'll be keeping you all updated with the most up to date possible information that we have available to us as well. Um, anything from your end? Uh, yep. And once again, a special shout out to super producer Daniel Westoff for the editing job that he does day in day out here at Cracked Rackets. You're, he is the reason that you will be getting this as fast as possible and the sole reason that we're able to do emergency podcasts. So thank you, Westoff, and we'll speak to you guys soon. With that said, we will catch you guys for our tournament recap of the French Open in, what, a few days? All right, we'll catch you guys next time. See ya.